before we get into today, I'm, I'm doing it. Uh, uh, I'm kind of pausing Genesis until next week based on the last two weeks. And when I decided to do this, I learned that Matthew Martin is, is, uh, is with us today after his, how long was it? Three months? Just under four months he's been away. I had kind of felt, I felt like I needed to share about sort of our philosophy of missions and, and what we do and why we do it the way we do it. And then I learned after I decided to do that, that he was back in town and, and, you know, dad starts texting me, my son needs to share. Like he needs to, to say thank you. And, and I'm like, oh, he's back. That's wonderful. We'll get him up here to share. So then I have a little crisis in my own family because my wife really wants to be in this message, but she has Sunday school. So I've decided to let Matthew share right now so she can get a little taste of, of uh, what's coming today. All right. Thank you so much. Just once again, my name is Matt or Matthew. Four months ago, you guys... Um, you guys all prayed for me, and you sent me out on what I called a pilgrimage, and I didn't really know where I was going exactly. There wasn't even a mission trip planned for me. Um, there was talks or hopes or dreams, um, and so four months later, I'm back, and I'm seeing all of you again, and so I want to start by saying thank you so much for everybody that prayed for me, uh, for everybody that considered me in and was a part of of that for me because um, I got to do things um, that were urgent in the kingdom of God. And so that's kind of what I'm here to share. And I want to share this verse um, really quick. 1 Corinthians 13, um, verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable in parts are treated with greater modesty. So it's this idea that those that are weaker in the kingdom of God on earth, those are the parts of the body that actually need more love, more consideration, more kindness, and more urgency. And so as I was on this pilgrimage visiting missionaries, visiting old uh, friends, visiting non-Christians who definitely need, you know, more Jesus. Uh, I went to 14 countries in four months. Wow. Um, spent way more money than I budgeted. And I need to get a job. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, and I'm back here. But during that time, I was in talks with Pastor Gunner. And Pastor Gunner uh, stepped up. And he, you know, if you ever want to, like, um, what's it called, uh, a trip, like, planned, where he's, like, your uh, travel agent, he he will go to bat for you, and he got me in touch with his uh, really good friend, who who I know all of you know, too, he's been here, Chris Guess, and I got to go to Romania, um, and I don't know if you have that, oh, the picture, so, oh, okay, okay, okay. So he, I show up in Romania, and I, I meet up with Chris, 
And I'm meeting the team, and I'm working at a, a Ukraine shelter for Ukrainian refugees. And then I meet the pastor, Nalutsu and Christy. Um, and they tell me, you're going on a convoy. And I'm like, okay, I've heard about this convoy. Two days, right? And they're like, no, 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 it's actually seven days. And I'm like, whoa, where are we going? And you're like, you're going, well, we're not allowed to tell you where you're going. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I tell, tell, tell my parents and tell Gunner, and Gunner's like, you know what? Maybe you should drop your location. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Pastor Gunner, he's ex-military. Maybe he could get me out of trouble if something happens. (laughs) But anyways, we go two days into my trip. We go 24 hours driving through the western part of Ukraine. We go through Ismaeus at the border of Romania, and we just drive on the western side through Odessa, eventually ending up in Odessa. And at that time, you see a life that you don't even realize what's going on. It's kind of surreal being there. Um, it's, it's scary for somebody that hasn't been there. But you realize quickly that these people, these Ukrainian people, have, like, their lives there. And they don't want to leave. And we're bringing refugee, uh, we're bringing resources to churches who are still planted right there because God says, plant right here and do ministry for these Ukrainians. And it's kind of a wake-up call for sure. Um, anyways, we get all the way to this random little campsite, and all of a sudden you realize that God's heaven is always on earth. And we're in this little like campground oasis, you know, like Camp Julian. Um, and you're like, how is this possible? And you see all these um, young campers looking to just have a normal life. And for five days, I get to be, you know, the camp fun guy. And, and that's me being the camp fun guy. And, and we get to literally meet with, with these amazing young people who are on fire for Jesus and who have decided in the middle of, of a terrible situation to go to a Discover Jesus camp. And I make this little shirt with the Ukrainian flag, and they really like that. And I want to highlight this gentleman to the right here. This is Slava um, right here. He actually um, lost his father, um, and he was himself with his father in behind enemy lines in a camp held by the Russians. Um, and at that camp, um, he wanted to leave because he had some very big difficulties mentally with, with some PTSD. Um, and he left. And through prayer and through the kindness of the Christians at the camp, he came back because he just loved it so much. And then the last night, I saw his sister praising Jesus to Jesus' music songs. And you're seeing that there is hope for these young kids. There's hope for this young camp, for this young church. And it's kind of like, wow, in the last night, the kids are up till 4 a.m. playing Jesus music by the bonfire, and all the adults are like, we got to go in the morning at 4 a.m. to drive 24 hours. But that last night, they give me this cup. It says, be brave like Ukraine. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm like, oh, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm on this pilgrimage. You know, I don't know what to do next. My life, you know, you know, millennial stuff, right? You know, <laughs> millennial stuff. And I realized right then and there, this is our purpose in life. 
This is our purpose to be faith filled and to love the weaker parts of the body. And I think that's uh, a little bit of like what Gunnar wants to talk about his missions. And then they, that night they all signed my shirt. And I just think this is very tangible for you to see what you were praying for. Um, there's lots of messages in Ukrainian and Russian, so I don't know what they say. So if you know Ukrainian or Russian, please help me out. But once again, um, there's pictures that we have of just joy in the midst of suffering, counting it all joy. I think that's, that's counting it all joy. Um, and this is, uh, this is Katya. She was the leader of the program every night. Um, and then one more picture, if you can. Um, this is Christy. These are three Ukrainian uh, refugees that we met on a different night. Christy is a Romanian um, pastor for uh, Chris Guess's church, Alpha Omega. And he took them, he took his time, and he took these three boys to the Carpathian Mountains. They're a little bit, uh, have some difficulties in life. They have no father and they have um, no parents with no money, mom with no money, and 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 they're a little rougher, but they they open up like you have no idea. Once you show them that they matter in your life, they, they're your little buddies. And so it's their first time to the Carpathian Mountains in Romania. That was a real special time. This is after we got back from Romania. Sorry if the timeline's jumpy. And then the last picture here is me and Chris. I gotta see him I gotta see him preach on um on the purpose of church. And and I, I'll never forget that in the in and so that was a very special experience. And you know, obviously it was the best experience of four months of traveling because the other four months of traveling were where I wanted to go and you know, having fun and seeing things. But this three weeks was the most impactful that I could ever have asked for. So thank you very much. I'm going to pass this microphone. Well, he doesn't use microphone. But I'm going to pass this over to, to Pastor Gunner. Um, all right, the kids who want to go to Sunday school or go to Sunday school can go to Sunday school. And we're going to continue. Uh, we're going to continue along by the reading of of the Great Commission. Uh, it's found in Matthew chapter twenty eight, beginning at verse sixteen. <clears throat> but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee and to the mountain with which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the, uh, in the, name of the, Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing around the world globally. Uh, when we consider the, the world, it's, it's overwhelming to think that we have a responsibility in what you are doing globally. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us as a, as a congregation 
Lord, to be faithful to the things that you have called us to, that you would help us uh, to send missionaries out well, that we would uh, be able to care for those that we are connected with overseas. Father, I pray that you would use us uh, as, a, as, a, as a small little body here in Valley Center to be a part of something globally with you that's far greater than, than what we can possibly think or imagine. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Um, this, this spring, it, it marks my family's 17-year anniversary here at Grace Point Church. When we came, there were, like, there were eight 80-year-old people. And they, we were coming to restart the church, plant a church, somewhere in the middle of those two things. And, and on the, the first Sunday that we were here, before they had asked us to come officially, so it was like, I, I believe it was in April or so, and we were in the back room, and they had a little tribunal table set up. So it was all like of them, and there was a seat for myself and I think Anna, and they started to ask us questions about our thoughts and philosophy and that sort of thing. And so one of the things that I had brought up to them concerned missions. And I almost at this point was trying to get them to say, no, thank you, we're not interested in you, we'll take somebody else. And I, I had come down sort of on the, uh, the philosophy of, of the Southern Baptist Convention, not that I was opposed to it, but they, if you're an investor... You can buy mutual funds, which is great and wonderful for investing. But when it comes to missions, I'm, I'm more like to pick my stocks and invest in certain individuals and to have a real relationship, not sort of uh, pay somebody else to do that which the local church has been commissioned by God to do. And at the time, the church had no local missionaries that they had supported, and well, the church obviously said, we want you guys to come. And so within three weeks or so, we had the Manning family come to the church to share. It was a huge Sunday. There were 30 of us because there was my family and there was Josh's family. And there were a couple uh, onlookers uh, to hear about the Manning family who was in deputation, which is missionary speak for their trying to raise support in order to go overseas. And their plan was to go to Mongolia. And so we sat here as they shared, and I said that we as a church were going to adopt them as missionaries, financially and relationally. And so all we could afford at the time was $20 a month. And so that was our missions budget at the church was $20 a month to the Manning family. And I had said something that, that sort of haunted me. I said something without a lot of thought, which I'm guilty of a lot of times, but normally when I say it, I mean it. And, I, and so what I'd said during this time in, in 2007 is that, oh, in five years, we're going to send a team from our church to Mongolia. Gunnar had no idea what he was saying in that moment. Three years had marched along. And around 2009, I started to be haunted by those words of mine because five years was incrementally getting closer and closer and closer. 
And I had made this vow, oh, we're going to send a team. But what does that mean to send a team to Mongolia? How do you do this? And in talking with Anna, we sort of felt like it would probably be a good idea for me to take a trip to Mongolia just to sort of get my feet on the ground, just to sort of see what they were doing, just to sort of see what a team would look like. And so I talked to Josh, and Josh said that would be wonderful. And then as as we got closer and closer and closer to this departure date of when I was supposed to head to Mongolia, I could tell that Josh was becoming more and more overwhelmed with our expectations on him. What did he expect from the local church? What was he expecting that we would get out of this trip? And I could tell through our exchange with one another that we needed to change the whole vision and the whole purpose of our trip out there. And a Bible passage came to mind in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 13 reads this, For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And so I said, Josh, don't worry about this follow-up missions trip. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I don't know why I said that. And I know I said it, and I said that because I wasn't really raised in the church, and I just know churches send teams overseas. And so why don't we scrap that idea? I've already bought tickets. So how about I just come out here and the, the aim is for me to encourage you. And, and, and there's absolutely no expectation of everything. And he sort of sighed a, a breath of relief. But at the back of his mind, I think he thought that there was still an agenda uh, for us. And I, I didn't really know what that was. And so we arrived in Mongolia. It was me and one other guy from the church. And we arrived in Mongolia. And over the course of the next three to four days, I spent sort of driving around Mongolia with Josh. And he was pointing out things that he thought was silly, that he thought was silly about Mongolia, their culture, their, the way they do things. They're just sort of different. I mean, they're very tough and resilient people. And so he's, he's saying stuff. And then we're kind of joking, or it sounds very offensive now talking about it. <laughs> but we were basically making fun of Mongolia and the culture. And he's laughing. And he's like, oh, I got to, sh- you think this is bad. Let, let me get you some food. And so then he, he, he got, uh, what was the stuff called? The kids, the stoogen. Stoogen, it's imagine taking a can of ham, dumping out the ham, and then the gelatin stuff. Throw some uh, horse hair, goat hair, chunks of stuff in there, and then call it a meal. It was horrible. And then fermented mare's milk, and we're doing all this stuff laughing. And by the third or fourth night, Josh was putting the kids to bed. And I was sitting there with Heidi, and I was like, Heidi... I'm a terrible pastor. Tomorrow, I promise you, I'll try to be more pastorly. Because I, you know, it's 2010. I'd now been a pastor for three years. I didn't know how you were supposed to encourage missionaries. 
And I'm like, tomorrow, tomorrow will be the day that I become a pastor. And, and I'm going to do a really good job not making fun of Mongolia, not harassing you guys. And I, and I remember looking up at her, and she had tears streaming down her face. And she said, Gunnar, don't stop what you're doing. I haven't seen Josh laugh and smile in four years. We're on the verge of calling it quits. And it utterly rocked me. And from there, I got super ill because I cleaned up vomit, which is a whole other story. I was a little over. I thought I was better with vomit than I actually am. Um, and, and we found ourselves that New Tribes Missions in Mongolia, they have about, at the time, there, there were about eight missionary families that were serving the whole of Mongolia one family that had been there for 30 years, they, their time was coming to an end. Their mission, they were there for construction reasons, sort of building the, the main compound for new tribes in Ulaanbaatar. They were leaving, so all of the missionaries came in to have a party. And so there were eight families there. And during this, uh, during this little gathering celebration, uh, I talked to this guy who was a church planter. He'd been in Mongolia for 20 years. He uh, is a Canadian cattle rancher, so he's planted a church being way out in the outer banks of Mongolia, teaching the Mongolians how to better care for their livestock, how to better navigate sort of uh, whatever you do with cattle, but feeding them, keeping food available during the winter time, uh, things that they, they hadn't done. And I talked to him for about 20 minutes or an hour and I thought we were talking sort of pastor to pastor, just sort of shooting the breeze. And then it dawned on me, because I'm a slow pastor, that this guy was pouring his heart out to me as a pastor, something that he hadn't had. And I looked at him, I said, Have you, do, does your pastor come visit you? And he looked at me, he's like, I've been here for like 20 some odd years. Never has my pastor ever come to visit me for the sake, for any reason. He's like, if we ever see a church come here, it's they're evaluating whether we are going to be a line item in their budget for the following year. It's never for the purpose of encouragement. I've never seen this as a pastor. Three weeks ago on September 16th, Diane and Roger, they had a wedding in their family. The, the, the young lad that married into the family, Colin, he was a missionary kid in, in Japan. And, and as we were talking through the premarital, he's like, ah, when you meet my uncle, you're going to love my uncle. And so during the wedding day, the uncle, he, I, didn't, I mean, of all the people, I didn't know who the uncle was, but he approached me and started talking with me and sharing his story about how he had been a missionary in, in, in um, the Congo for 30 or 40 years, some uh, like astronomical amount of time. And as we were talking back and forth, I, I shared with him this story and how I felt really burdened that, that we as a church, that, that there's something, I don't want to say broken, I don't want to be critical of other churches, because the other churches are certainly needed, but, but certainly the aim in a lot of churches is just sending dollars, which is super needed. So I don't want to be critical, but there's a lack of 
of relationship and true care of, of missionary support. And so I said, through this experience with the Mannings and this time to Mongolia, I just have this deep burden. I don't know if it's my wiring, my background as a SEAL, and just being able to pop around the world, but I just have this deep burden to, to, to really care for the missionaries in this tangible way by going to them and seeing what they're doing and, and just encouraging and laughing and, and helping them. And he looked at me and he had tears, not streaming down his face, but welling in his eyes. And he put his arm around me and he's like, on behalf of all missionaries, I just want to thank you because this is exceptional. We didn't have people visit us. And what, what you are doing is, is super incredible. Then last Saturday after the board meeting in Spain, there's another missionary who'd been, he'd been in, he'd been in Madrid for, since 1999 or, or no, 1989. He's been there for something like 30 years. Again, I share the story with him and his reaction is the exact same thing. Tears in his eyes saying, I have, he's, he's got his fingers out. So he's doing really serious math. He's like, I have nine sending churches. And in my 30 plus years of being out here, not once has a senior pastor come out to visit me. And I think this is like just exceptional that you would come and care for us in this way. And so a Bible passage over in third, third John, it's only one chapter. It's towards, the end, it's towards the end of your Bible. There's a section there. Kids aren't bothering me, just so you know. Like I'm, I love kids, so I'm good. So I know it's the parents. It's hard for the parents. It's always like I just want to make it clear for everybody else. Like I love kids. I'm good with them. So, uh, um, so over in Third John, verses five through eight, it it reads, "Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church." You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. And so when I look at the Great Commission, what we looked at earlier, that Jesus, one of his, his last statements, one of his last teachings recorded in Matthew is that the, the church is to be sending people to reach the world for Christ. And so the Great Commission is to be fulfilled by the church. The church is not buildings. The church is people that are composed of, like they're people who follow Christ. And so from these people who follow Christ, they are supposed to be concerned with the, the going out locally, globally, uh, to, to reach the world for Christ. Uh, within the church, there's different callings. Uh, there's different giftings within the body of Christ. Collectively, these these giftings are to be used for the edification within the church, building up of one another, helping one another, uh, sending people out, caring and ministering for those who have been sent out. As I read through the New Testament and the letters, you see, r- really you see it at the end of almost every epistle, within the New Testament, the greetings, the, hey, tell so-and-so I said hello, and they list all of these people. And then, oh, such-and-such uh, such sends their greetings. So there's sort of this, this exchange between the people. 
And when we read it, it's just simply reading like an exchange of names. But the reality is, is this is an exchange of lives. People who are tangibly caring and ministering uh, to one another, even though they're separated by space and time. And this section in Third John, why I like this so much, is the Apostle John, when he writes to this church, he said, I've heard about you guys. I've heard about how you care for other Christians. I've heard about especially those people that you don't know. You've brought them into your homes. You've ministered to them. You've loved them. You've provided for them. You've given them resources and then you sent them out. That you are a part of this team. You recognize that while you might live in this geographical area, you have a responsibility to the world. And that last phrase, it's like this pyramid scheme within Christianity. I have no idea how it works. But it says, so that we, it's not a scheme. That's just like this is, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So, as we are connected to people out there and we give and we pray and we encourage and we link our lives with their lives. See, Matthew shares about those, those kids, hard stories in Ukraine. But all of us, whether you realize it or not, you played a part in that. And in your spiritual bank account with God, somehow you got a deposit in his interaction with them. So I can't explain that to you. But we're told if you prayed for him, if you gave, and we've give, we as a church gave to help him on that portion of the trip, somehow our accounts were credited with that work. And it makes no sense to me. But we're, we're told to do these things. So we're at the so what section, but that doesn't mean we're close to the end. As, as far as our church is concerned, I believe that we have a, a, a deep obligation, responsibility to, to think beyond just within the walls of this building, beyond the walls of just our community, but to think from, from here where we are locally to, to the outermost part of the world. And my prayer is that as I cover this subject, that this idea would continue to be imparted to each one of us, that we would see the greater vision. When I came, or we came, just shy of 17 years ago, we had the one missionary. We had a budget of about $20 a month to her. Now, our monthly budget towards missions exceeds $2,000 a month. And this doesn't include things that we do, like raising money for a computer, uh, visits, any sort of additional things. But we have about $2,000 a month dedicated just going overseas to missionaries that we're connected with. But really, when I talk to them, the money is one thing, but the relational support that our church provides is exceptional. And it it does it. We're a little tiny church. But the relational component that we provide to our missionaries is exceptional. Like, I'm not trying to brag, but just from what I've heard from them, our missionaries, what they're deeply thankful for is that they actually are connected with people in our church and they feel like they know people from our church. Uh, just a review 
who some of our missionaries are. Uh, uh, Lindsay Gray, she serves in Nairobi, Kenya. She's a missionary pilot. She's an exceptional person. I adopted her. I, you know, some people pick up stray dogs. I pick up stray missionaries. Uh, on a, on a visit to one of our missionaries who's, who's back or off of the field, when I was in Nairobi with Daniel, uh, we met her and then we sort of picked her up as a missionary. She's stationed out of Nairobi. She's this little twig of a person and looks super young and she's flying into war-torn countries to provide help and medical evacuations. Uh, we have the Howard family. In Japan, it's, they are not, they are a relational support. We are on paper. They're sending church, uh, but there's no financial support. They're fully supported by their church in Japan. But Japan is a country that 0.5% of Japan is composed of evangelical Christians, meaning like Orthodox Christianity, that, we believe, that they believe that salvation comes through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone that the word of God is exclusive in how we know about God. Uh, we have the guest family in Romania. Uh, Romania is composed, they have a higher concentration of 5.4% of the population in Romania is evangelical uh, Christian. To put it in perspective, the United States has about 30% evangelical Christians of our population. Uh, so they are much, much lower we now, as of, I think it was this summer, we, we picked up the Demo family in Albania. In Albania, the Christian population is the same as Japan. It's 0.5%, so, so decimal five. Less than 1% is evangelical Christianity. Also, during summer nights, we decided to, to, to help support the Kidder family in Ethiopia. Ethiopia has a high percentage of Christians. They're at 19.6% of evangelical Christians in Ethiopia. However, they, they are the only country of those that we support that sort of tip the, the Richter scale of persecution goes off. On the persecution scale, they're, they're like 39th for persecution that they have Muslims persecuting them. So it's a very, very difficult place to live as a, as a Christian. In Spain, we support Juan and Maria and the seminary in Spain. Spain has less than 1% of their population as evangelical Christians. Uh, we have the Mannings, who are now no longer in Mongolia, but they are in Arizona, and he teaches at a Bible college for Native Americans. So they are equipping uh, young Native American pe- people who desire to serve within the reservations from Canada down to, to the continental United States. And then we have, getting closer, we have Camp Julian Oaks obviously reaching sort of the least of these, those, those children who don't have parents. Uh, the Bible speaks very highly of, of the church's responsibility towards widows and orphans. And so I see Camp Julian Oaks as an arm of our ministry uh, to, to orphans. And then we serve and are connected with Alternatives Medical Clinic right here in Escondido. We just had the banquet. We often do things for them. Uh, really reaching, again, these are the, the mo- very vulnerable people in our, our population is the unborn children in a crisis situation. And then sort of in, in the, 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 the ranks or on deck in the process of training that we're connected to are Isaac and Rachel Fredericks. They are currently in training at New Tribes, they change your name, but it'll always be New Tribes to me. 
there was some organization now, but it's new tribes. And so they are being prepared to go into the mission field, and they don't know uh, where they are going at this point. And so concerning our philosophy of caring, what I think that we do different, and my prayer for us, number one, my, my prayer is that we would be a church that would actually be praying for our missionaries. We have the little blurb in the bulletin, but in this day and age, through social media, through their prayer letters, through, through whatever, uh, it should be very easy for you to stay sort of on the pulse of what's going on in their lives so that you can be praying for them. And then so often when we pray for individuals and we actually know what's going on in their lives, every now and again, a prayer request will surface and it's like, hey, we can actually put some legs on our prayers and fulfill the need. Uh, like I think the most re- recent was the, the computer for Chris Guest. That it was like, hey, there's a need here. We can respond to that and help provide and answer that prayer. Um, I would encourage you to the missionaries that we're connected to that you know, uh, or maybe you don't know and you want to introduce yourself through WhatsApp, texting, iMessage. You can shoot text message, say, hey, I'm praying for you. I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you today. You can shoot them emails. You can call. You can send gifts. There are all sorts of things that you can do. If you ever have a desire to go and to visit, I will help coordinate just like Matthew. Like Matthew didn't know Chris, but he's like, I'd like to go there. I'm like, well, let me connect you with Chris and we'll get you, we'll get everything taken care of for you to go there. And I made sure to make it happen because I care about this. It's good for Chris. It's good for, for Matthew and it's great for the kingdom of God. Um, pastoral visits are huge. Like this, this is, this is, for my end, I don't know why God has wired me the way he's wired me. Um, my dad was a pilot. I grew up in an airplane. I, the SEAL teams gave me this sense of making the world a really small place. And for me to go hop around the world and come back, it's just not a big deal for me. And I, thr- I thrive on it. And I think it's good for us as a church. I feel like it's good for the missionaries. Um, I, I, I knew I couldn't get through today without bringing some pictures back, right? Um, so we're going to show some pictures. So if we can maybe dim, do we need to dim lights or no? Uh, so, and I should have brought Kleenex because I think I'll get emotional sharing. Oh, perfect. Just in case. Uh, I'm not gonna, uh, if I grab them, I'm not going to need them. If I don't, I will. So this way I can just like, um, so this is Juan and Maria, and and uh, yeah, I'm gonna get choked up. Uh, so I last saw Juan and Maria, and I'm gonna save getting choked up till later. I'm just telling myself. So Juan and Maria are missionaries that we support. They're part of the the, the seminary, uh, the seminary and the foundation. Their husband and wife. Uh, three almost four years ago, when I was in Spain. Visiting with them, I couldn't communicate with them. And on this trip, we were able to communicate. Uh, it was the most beautiful thing. I've. Let's go to the next slide, because I'll, I'll like the next slide makes more. Oh no no no. Okay, I'm going to hold my tears. I'm going to okay. So this okay. This is the at the seminary uh, on. 
I want to say it was Friday, last Friday. What you have here is the first meeting was the meeting of the staff of the seminary. Uh, Chris Matthews is the, I think he's like the rector. He lives in North Carolina. He was in Sevilla for many, many decades. And now he kind of travels the world as a missionary, supporting the, the theological education in a couple different places. You have Juan and Maria. Uh, Juan is... Juan is the director of sort of the undergraduate studies. And on the right is Andy. He's the president of the seminary. He, he handles all of the upper graduate, um, all of the upper graduate courses. And the guy on this computer screen, I don't really know who he, he lives in Malaga. He's a professor. It was all in Spanish. And they're sort of planning out their, their year for the upcoming year. Uh, Andy is, uh, his PhD and his focus is everybody knows about the, the Reformation that happened in Germany, but very few people know the Reformation that occurred in Spain simultaneously. About, um, about a mile from this, the school where they presently meet is a monastery that was built in, in 1310, I believe. And in that monastery is where the first translation of the Spanish Bible was penned by these, these uh, I believe they were monks, and ultimately these guys were executed in that building. The seminary has been in talks with a duke of Spain who owns this dilapidated structure, and they're, they're trying to get a long-term lease to rent a space to bring a seminary on this location where the Reformation started in Spain, which is super overwhelming. Um, so that's that's the some of the staff, uh, the the staff, the the seminary's leadership planning out the next year. The next the next slide is this is the student orientation for the new school year. Uh, they have about twenty five students. Uh, I don't know the breakout. I can see that there's one two students. On online, one is a student in Mexico, and the rest are students presently, like in Sevilla. And so they are. This is their orientation to the new school year. The guy on the right, the white shirt, he's from Nicaragua. I had a wonderful time talking to him. I'd been to Nicaragua, so we we really. I was so excited to be able to talk to him in Spanish. Um, next slide. Okay, this is the slide where. I might get emotional, but now I've talked myself out of it, so it's perfect. Uh, so this is downtown Sevilla. I'm going to do this just for, sorry, Melanie, you can fix it later. Um, so the significance of this, so this day, the, the guy to my left, your right, is Miguel. Uh, Susana is, oh, Susana, not, I kept saying, uh, Raquel, uh, Miguel and Raquel, they're married. Anna, my wife, grew up in Spain. They were at a church in Spain however many years ago. They were four kids. My wife's brother and aunt, my wife, her brother, Miguel and Raquel were all friends. And they grew up, Raquel and Miguel ended up getting married. Um, he is a pastor in Sevilla. His father was a pastor. His father was a guy that was hugely influential in my father-in-law's life uh, as a missionary over there. And so I, so in 2020, um, 
I went to his church. And we'd known each other for 20 years. And I'd reached, I'd reached the level of competency to where I could understand about 60 to 70% of what he was saying, which is huge. And I could tell we were talking about pastor things and the struggle of being a pastor, and we were, we were talking. Uh, but I couldn't talk back to him. I couldn't, I couldn't get my thoughts out, and my comprehension had grown to where Anna didn't have to pay attention. She used to have to like sort of babysit me where she'd have to like have her own conversation, pay attention to our conversation. So then when I said, hey, can you help me like say this? She then could say it for me, but my comprehension had grew, so she wasn't paying attention. But then I had to like ask her for help, and then so she'd have to hear the whole conversation over again. And so I left Spain in 2020 determined to, to speak Spanish when I got back. And, uh, and, so, I mean, hours and hours and hours of training. I probably have 350 hours of, of conversational Spanish with teachers in Spain since then. And as, as uh, Ricardo, as Rick, as you guys know him, uh, as we were making our way from Malaga, where we flew into, to Sevilla, it was about a two-hour drive. We'd pulled over, and Miguel started texting me. And, and I was like, well, hey, Miguel, I got some problems. Um, first, I have two more people because Erica, Erica, and and Rico because we had two riches, and I was like, so I had to give them new names. Um, I have these. I mean, she's a, she's a flight attendant, and they were they were they they flew to Portugal and they drove to Sevilla. Can they come over to dinner too? And so they're like, yeah, of course, no problem. And so we on this night was our second day. We. We started at three in the afternoon at their house. And as I was driving to their house, I started to panic because this is like final exam for Gunner. I was starting to worry that all of the work that I put in would, would not work out. Um, I thought that we would have dinner. It would be very nice. And, and then after an hour, I would have to excuse myself and say, well, we'll just see you on Sunday. Like we've hit a dead end language. Very very nice time. Let's continue on. But with the, the three people from our church that didn't speak Spanish, my Spanish, you know, they, I'll let them tell their own story. But it was like, for me, it was amazing. I was like, a, I, had, I, can, I could have a conversation like you're having a conversation with Caleb Rouse, like a six-year-old kid. You can cover a lot of ground as a six-year-old kid. And so we ended up staying out till two in the morning, uh, just having a wonderful time downtown Sevilla. Um, and he kept hugging me. We kept like being just overwhelmed with just emotion that after all of these years that we were able to communicate and we started talking about deeper things spiritually. And then at the end of this night, we found ourselves at a very fancy location, very exclusive place. I think they only have them in Spain. It's, it's a place called McDonald's. <laughs> and, and so then I asked him, like, hey, we've been friends for 20 years not being able to speak, but now that we can speak, are we still friends? And he's like, yeah, 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 we're still friends. So the next slide of Sevilla, just to show the a uh, couple days later. So this is their church. I was trying to be very sly with my, my pictures. Now this this is a thriving evangelical church in Spain. I was in the back row, 
or there was one row behind us with like three people. So there was 25 people. This is from the back looking towards the front. Next slide to their worship team. Uh, the girl on the left is their other da- daughter, Anna. And so that's ba- there's Miguel, his, his wife, Raquel. And so this is their church, 25 people on a given Sunday. Uh, next, next slide, I think, is a fun- then that's Miguel preaching. Uh, he goes through the Bible line by line. They've been at Timothy. And then next, next slide is the fun slide. So you can tell the top left corner, we're at a stadium. And for, there are two soccer teams in Sevilla. Uh, our family has, has our favorite team. And Miguel, the only th- criticism I have of him is he likes the other team. And even worse than that, we created a monster. And now Ricardo is a huge Batiste fan. And, and, uh, so we are at the game. It was super hot. It's, it's me, Miguel, Anna, and Lucas. And we're at the soccer game, but over the course of the three hours, it would be just as if I was in San Diego at a baseball game or something with another pastor. We spent the whole time kind of talking shop and trying to encourage him and talking about what he's going through and, and just a, a really like a special thing. I, I, uh, um, I don't know if 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 you three want to say anything. You're shaking your head. Okay, well here, let's let me get the microphone. I got to change the mic. This is dangerous. If I learned anything about Rick, he can talk a lot. Like <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, it was it was really educational. It was it was fun. We had a lot of time good times. I've got the opportunity to get really get to know Gunner. I, it was something I'd prayed about for a long time because we're, I'm 21 years as senior. I'm, I could be his father, but uh, it was great. And and I have to say, it, and I'm, I'm sure Rich and Eric will agree that uh, I was incredibly impressed with his language skill, his ability to communicate. We, I have some background, but it's encouraged me to want to actually learn the language now because the, to be able to express thoughts and, and inner feelings and, and, and they return those thoughts and, and we could just we could just follow the conversation but we couldn't really participate except occasionally throwing something in to laugh about or but the the whole time there in Spain Gunner he was he was twofold he was trying to, to entertain me a little bit and show me some of uh, the Spain in the very short time we were there and I'm it was amazing so he was working as my tour guide uh, unpaid tour guide. I didn't pay him a dime. But uh, uh, it, and at the same time, uh, uh, it was the meeting with our with uh, uh, um, Juan and 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 with uh, uh, Miguel and his family and and, and talking. And, and I got the, I, the opportunity while you were in with the meeting. Juan and I talked for two hours, and so we formed a, a, a ability to communicate. Fortunately, he had a. Uh, a, a device on his phone where he could translate some, but it, it was just—it's a transforming experience. It, it was just the most wonderful thing. Now I'm—I'm I'm in tears now. It's—I <laughs> can't thank you enough. I can't. The opportunity arose, and, and I—I just know that God had His hand in it. You guys want to say anything about it? No. no you're good. I do too, so you're in good company. Um, 
uh, we're, we're too late. I, I have some funny stories about him. And then, but they're like in Spanish, the first night they're like, hey, can you like, can you tell the story about Dancing Queen? I'm like, you guys want me to tell a dancing swing? Like, I don't know. Like, so I had to tell my Dancing Queen story from the military in Spanish. And by the way, they were laughing. I said something funny, so I don't know. Uh, it was good. Um, so, so all of this to say, like, on, uh, after the meeting for the board, the missionary Scott, who'd been there for 30 years, he started to press me. He's like, do you think God is calling you to Spain? I'm like, no, absolutely not. God is calling me to Valley Center. But God, is, God has put this burden on my heart globally. And I think that serving on the, 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 mission, this, the seminary board, it will help fill this, this itch that I have in my heart, while also the, 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 the big itch is that I feel called here. Um, and... As I have seen the tears in these missionaries' eyes, uh, I just want to thank you all for allowing me and encouraging me over the years to, to have this global perspective, to actually go and to tangibly encourage the missionaries. Because if I wasn't at a church that was supporting in this way, it couldn't happen. Um, and so we as a church, small, we have our hands in all of these, these pots. There's opportunities for you to get more involved, and there's opportunities for us to, to, to minister in very uh, meaningful ways. And so we're going to close today with, with, with the Lord's Supper. And it'll, it'll have to be done sort of a little bit shorter than normal. The Lord's Supper is, the, the first element is, is confession and just coming before the Lord and confessing things that are holding you back, areas that you haven't surrendered to him, sin in your life. We're told that he's faithful to cleanse us, to make us new in Christ. And so I think that, uh, where's Rick? I, you're going to come and, yeah, they're going to pass out the elements. So just take this time to, to reflect before the Lord. You guys are going to be speedy, speedy servers today because of somebody went long.